Corinthians chapter number 13, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and if you're here this morning and you've uh, not received the notes yet, go ahead and raise your hand and the ushers will get that note, the notes to you and that way you can follow along in the message uh, with those notes and, uh, and that way uh, hopefully we can grow together in God's word this morning and, and be challenged uh, through it as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And uh, we're going to read the, the whole chapter, or I'll read the whole chapter. We're going to study it uh, here this morning, and uh, it's not in your notes, so uh, hopefully I think we can maybe follow it on the, uh, on the screens if we have it. Uh, if not, uh, you can uh, maybe look on, if you don't have a Bible, look on with someone no, clo- close to you that does, and we're just going to go through this chapter this morning. We're going to continue our series on sowing and reaping, and I hope that this morning the message will be something that will be a blessing and a help to you, and in uh, a way in which you can grow in your spiritual life. First Corinthians chapter number thirteen says this way: It says, "Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith." So that I remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, and believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for... Your word, I thank you for the truth that we can find in it. I pray that as we study this passage on love, that we would not only understand the truths that are there, but that we would be ready to apply them into our lives. I I ask that your Holy Spirit now would fill me, that I would be able to communicate the message that you have given me in a a way that is clear, uh, in a way that, Father, would be a a help and an encouragement to those uh, that are here this morning, but also in a way that would be a blessing to, uh, to us. I pray that we would uh, grow together spiritually, that we would understand this passage and the applications that are there, and that, Father, we would uh, go out of here changed for the better, that we would be more Christ-like in our love and that we would seek you more and apply more of your truth in, in our lives. Thank you once again for allowing us to be here, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, the principle of sowing and reaping is a biblical principle for life. Well, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are this morning, there's really no escaping this reality, this truth. And this principle states that we reap in our life what we have sown. Much like the citrus farmer would plant orange seeds so that he could have orange trees to have oranges to sell, so those who want God's blessings in their life must plant God's truth in their life. There is an undeniable truth that we must realize if we understand this principle, and it is this. It is very important what we sow in our lives. If the principle says that we reap what we sow, then we must understand it is important to to know what am I sowing in my life. You see, I believe that every Christian is going to have to plant what we learn about this morning in their life if they're going to have a victorious Christian life. And that seed that you must plant is this, this thing, this seed that we call love. You see, love does for the Christian what blood does for the body. It gives it life. I heard about a father and a, and a son who were having breakfast together, and, and the son tells his dad, he says, Dad, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and get married. The father was, of course, a little taken back, a little shocked, and he said, Well, how do you know you're ready to get married? Are you in love? And the son said, uh, Yeah, I, I think I am. I, I really do believe that I am in love. And the father said, well, how do you know that you're in love? He said, well, last night I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight, and her dog bit me, and I didn't feel the pain until I got home. <laughs> Have you ever uh, been there? You ever felt like uh, love has done that for you? You know, love has the power to take you to a, a completely new level. It, it has the power to make you feel things that you've really never felt before. And in the church of Corinth, who Paul is writing to there in 1 Corinthians 13, this was a church that really was lacking in love. They weren't really lacking in anything else. They had probably one of the best programs uh, in the uh, city of Corinth. Their, their church was uh, filled with people that had wonderful gifts and abilities. And, and yet, with all of that, with all that they were able to do, they were still lacking in this area of love. For much of their existence, the church of Corinth had been just focused on doing the Christian life, but not really being a Christian. You know, I've found that for many Christians today, that has become the norm as well. I found many times if we're not careful in our life, we begin to live the Christian life doing and doing and doing, and we forget about being a Christian. We forget about what God is trying to do in us. We just sort of focus on what we think God wants to do with us, but we get away from what God is doing in us. You say the people at Corinth were very much known for their gifts. In fact, if you read chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you find that they were a very gifted people, and that giftedness had led them a little bit astray because they began to put really their focus and their faith on their gifts, on the spiritual gifts that God had given them. You find because of that, because they really focused on that, uh, that they were very active in the things of God, but they weren't very effective. 
they were very actively doing things and they had programs for all kinds of people and they were doing what they thought was God's will and very active in the church in doing those things. But you'll find that they were not very effective in what they were doing. And the reason is they were lacking in their love. So now Paul begins to speak to them or write to them, if you will, on this area that they are lacking. He, he, he notices that uh, though they have a lot of gifts and though they have a lot of activity for God, they're just not being as effective uh, for God as they should. So he begins to correct their wrong in what they're just doing and helps them to focus to champion what is right, and that is what God is doing in them. We find that in this church of Corinth, there was a lot of divisions. You can read that in chapter 4 and 5. There was divisions. There was very much difficulties. In fact, there was even disbelief in this church. With all of their blessings of gifts and abilities and talents and what they had provided and what they had as a church, they were still deficient in this area of loving and being effective for God. The church had gotten to a point where they were sowing the wrong seed. So Paul begins to share with them what they should be focusing on, not focusing so much on the spiritual gifts that God had given them, but begin to focus on things that really matter. We find him sharing with them what they really need to do if they're going to be effective, what they really need to sow in their life if they're going to bear much fruit for God later. So I want to share with you in 1 Corinthians 13 this morning four truths about love that we also need to uh, have and apply in our lives. Just like the church at Corinth needed to apply love along with their gifts and abilities that they had and along with the activity of their church, they also needed that love to be more effective. We also today need to have more love in our life. We need to focus a little bit more on what God is doing in us and not simply what God is doing with us. So how do we sow this, this love in our life? What, what is it that we do? How is it that we're going to sow love in our life? Well, look at the first truth that I find, and it's this in chapter 13. It is the motivation of love. The motivation of love. You see, as he begins this chapter, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now, that word charity is the old English word for love. All right, love. It's the Greek word agape, and it's, it's a love uh, for God, a divine love, a love that is a true love. And, and Paul says, I want you to understand that you need to have the right motivation of love. Love gives us the right motivation for the Christian life, gives us the right motivation. You'll notice that first, the motivation of our character, for your character. Henry Drummond said this. He said, you can take nothing greater to the heathen world than the impress and reflection of the love of God upon your own character. You see, that is the universal language. It will take you years to speak Chinese or in the dialects of India. But from the day you land, that language of love, understood by all, will be pouring forth its unconscious eloquence. It is the man who is the missionary. It is not his words, but it is his character, which is the message. We find that Henry Drummond said, I've noticed that when you have a character of love, God can use you. You can bear much fruit for God. Why? Because your motive is that of love. You see, 
Paul begins to share with the Corinthians that their abilities were nothing if they were not motivated by what truly mattered. He says, though you can speak in tongues of men and angels, but you have no love, then it doesn't mean anything. It, it profits you nothing. He said, though you have prophecies and all knowledge and understanding. He said, if you don't have love, you're just sort of like a, like a bell that makes noise, but really doesn't make music. It's just a sound. It's almost an annoying sound. And there are many Christians today that believe, well, I have all these gifts and all these abilities. And, and, uh, and they try to do, 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 do for God. And yet, because they are lacking the motivation of love in their life, then God cannot work on them. God cannot mold them. And it comes across to other people as, as just something of a religious activity and not something that's truly a work for God. And Paul reminds the church at Corinth, and he says, I want you to, to remember that you need to, to understand that love is the true motivation for getting a character that is Christ-like. Love is that true motivation that will change you to, me, to be more Christ-like in your life. You see, uh, the, the church at Corinth wanted to be known for what they did instead of what they were. Paul said, if you can do all of that and lack love, then really you have nothing. You see, love puts a whole new meaning in who you are. It changes all of it. See, it is better to be known by your love than by your abilities. And one way to understand this and realize this is, is remembering what James said. I think this is your note. James chapter 1, verse 17. James told the, the Christians there, he said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variable, variableness, neither shadow of turning. James learned something. He said, you know, the abilities and the gifts that we have are not of our own making. It's not because we're so good and we're so great and we're so smart and we just have all these uh, unbelievable. Uh, talents and gifts of our own that we've just worked hard for. He says we must recognize that the gifts, any gift that you have, any ability that you have was not of your own making, but cometh from God above. It is a gift of God. And so when you begin to see and understand that love is motivated by what God has done for you, then that motivation will lead you to the understanding that what you have is of God. So we find that Paul says, first of all, the motivation of your character is driven by love. When you understand God's love for you, that he even gave you abilities and gifts, then it, it begins to, to help you to realize how God begins to mold you to be more Christ-like. Understanding that the gift that he's given me is not for me to uh, get rich quicker or to, to make myself well-known and famous. It is just so that I can be more Christ-like, so I can be a better witness, a better and brighter light for God in this world. But I want you to notice, not only do you need that motivation for your character of love, but also for your conduct. He says in verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You say, Paul points out that the Christians at the church of Corinth were zealous for their good works more than why they did their good works. They were more zealous of their good works than why they did their good works. You see, there was a motive that was lacking behind it. That motive of love wasn't there in the church at Corinth. Uh, they, were, uh, they were very uh, active in their church programs, meeting needs. I mean, it says there, and I believe that, that Paul was part of probably pointing out there in verse 3 things that they were doing in their church. He says, though I meet the needs of the poor, though I feed, he says, and, and bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Hey, how many understand feeding the poor is a good thing? How many understand 
meeting people's needs is a good thing. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, we sent a, a truck there, a 26-footer, up to Houston to meet some of the needs that were there. Uh, they needed water, they needed diapers, they needed just supplies, everyday supplies, and we did our best as a church to, to donate and give and take it up there and, and to meet needs. And, and that is a good thing to do. That is a godly thing to do. But you know that if you do that and yet have not love, a right motivation behind that, then it really doesn't matter. You really did not accomplish what God wanted you to accomplish. God's more interested in why we're doing things than just doing things. God is more interested in the motives behind than just in what you do. Now, that doesn't mean that what you do doesn't matter. What you do does matter, but why you do it matters just as much. And if you're not careful in your Christian life, you can, you can become a person that just does without really uh, seeing what motives you're doing it with. That's why the psalmist told God, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, the psalmist understood if my heart and my motives aren't right, it really doesn't matter what I do. Love is that motivation that will begin to, to work through you and work through what you do. You see, not only did they try to meet the needs of feeding the poor, but they were even sacrificial in what they did. He says there in verse, uh, in verse 3, if I give my body to be burned. I mean, he's talking about martyrdom there. He's talking about dying for a cause. He says, if you even die for a cause, but you don't have love, then it profiteth nothing. I think of those that die for a cause today. And it seems like, sadly, those in false religions are much more willing to give of themselves and of their lives than many of us who have the truth in our hands, the truth in our hearts. I think of those radical Islamist terrorists that 16 years ago decided to hijack two planes and run them into those twin towers. They were willing to martyr themselves, but they didn't do it out of a heart of love. The God that they worship doesn't motivate them by love. He motivates them by fear. He motivates them by, by telling them, if you do this, then, then uh, I'll love you. Then I'll accept you. But see, our God does not do that. Our God does not, and the God of the Bible does not motivate by some fear of if you don't do this or else. No, God of the Bible, the God of the Bible motivates us by his love for us. And Paul reminds those here in Corinth, he says, I want you to understand in your conduct, you should be motivated by love. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit of unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See, he says, that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Peter said this, listen, if you're going to love one another, it's got to be a pure love. It's got to be out of the right motives. You see, love provides the right motive for what we do. Paul says, listen, Church of Corinth, y'all have some amazing buildings, you have some amazing programs, but you're lacking love. Later, the Apostle John would say, uh, write to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he'd say, man, you've got good works, he says, but you left your first love. It's so important for us to understand this morning, the Christian life is more than what you do, it's who you are. It's what God is doing in you. We find that love is so important in the Christian life. Why? Because it provides the motivation that we need. Paul said, the love of God constraineth me. It's what motivates me to go. 
Paul suffered prison time. Uh, Paul suffered being beaten and mocked and in shipwrecks. And, and he suffered so many things. But he said, you know, what motivates me to get back up and keep moving forward is God's love in my life. He told the Corinthians, listen, I might not be as talented as you. And to be honest, I'm probably not as gifted as you are. In fact, if you read in chapter 2, he tells them, he says, I, I want you to understand, I'm not the greatest preacher out there. I, my speech isn't a speech that was very good. In fact, if you study the Bible, you find that Apollos was one that was probably a better speaker than Paul. He was a little more talented in communicating. But you know what Apollos lacked that Paul had? It was love. It was just an unfeigned love. It was a, 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 a work that was motivi- motivated by a true love for people. You know what we need this morning? We need to be more motivated by God's love in our lives. We need to stop focusing on all that we are doing. Start focusing, what is God doing in me? Start reflecting, am I, am I here this morning out of love or am I here out of duty? Am I excited about the class I'm going to teach to the little kids because I just love that I have the opportunity to share with them God's truth? Or, or is it because, well, it's my turn this semester and I just got to get in there? I don't want to let Jason down. I don't want to let Pastor down. I, I just got to get there and be there. Paul said, listen, you can do that, but you'll not see fruit from it. Why? Because our motivation needs to be driven by God's love. But secondly, I see this, the manifestation of love. Not only the motivation of love, but then in verse number four, Paul begins to give the manifestation of love. In other words, what it does. All right, what it does. I love what Thomas Kempis said. He said, whoever loves much does much. Paul said, you know how you can start uh, proving that you are motivated by love? The way you do that is by manifesting love in your life. Well, how do we do that? He says there in verse number four, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. We find, first of all, what it does, and what it does is this. Number one, it suffers long. This means more than just patience. It is self-restraint when faced with provocation. Self-restraint. Love sort of pulls you back when you want to tell them and give them a piece of your mind. That, that provocation when someone uh, does something to you that, that you feel like they deserve. By the way, you'll notice if you read in the church of Corinth, the divisions that they had was much because of this. There was no self-restraint. People were not restraining themselves from any moral uh, immorality or moral misconduct. There was no uh, really restraint from telling other brothers and sisters there in the church what they thought of them and how much better they were and how b- bad they were and how much more they're doing for God than them, and how much more gifted they are than everyone else. And it caused a lot of division in that church in Corinth. By the way, it'll, it'll cause division in our church this morning if you, if you have that kind of attitude. One teacher starts saying, well, that teacher doesn't know what they're doing. I'm so much better of a teacher. I'm so much more gifted. I don't know why, why they asked them to teach, and I, I'm so much better. And you know what? You'll, you'll, you'll begin to cause divisions in this church. Why? Because there's no self-restraint. We find that true love is manifested in that it suffers long. Finally, also it says that it is kind. This means it puts into action quickly compassion for others. While love suffers long, while it's patient with others and self-restraining for oneself, 
the fact that it's kind means that it has action to it. It shows compassion to others. What else does it do? It is rejoicing in truth. This means that it is honest in what it does and what it says. True love is honest with others. We find that it is also bearing all things. I believe it's in verse uh, number 7. It says, it beareth all things. This means that word there means to cover or to protect. It bears all things. It doesn't point out everyone's failures, but it's one that tries to cover others' failures. Let me ask you something. When when someone lacks uh, in our church, when something happens and maybe the Sunday school teacher didn't do exactly what you thought he should have done with your child there in the Sunday school class, are you one that goes to Facebook and just tells everybody about it and just points about how bad that church at Bethany Baptist is? Or are you one that tries to cover some of that? You see, true love is manifested when we, we cover the faults of one another. Lovingly. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's not one that looks and, and tries to, uh, to do that, but bears it. If you remember the, the uh, we don't have time to read the story, but you remember in Genesis uh, when Noah, after the flood, gets drunk. The Bible says that that drunkenness led him to nakedness. And one of his uh, children, Ham, uh, began to look upon it and, and sort of mock it. But his other two sons, the Bible says that they got a blanket and they walked backwards and they covered his nakedness. That's what the word beareth means. It means to cover that shame. They weren't going to sit there and laugh at it. And by the way, that's why Noah put a curse on his son, Ham, but he gave a blessing to the other two. Why? Because they try to cover that. True love covers the faults and the shortcomings of others. We find not only that it bears all things, but it hopeth all things. That means it's very optimistic. A true love is optimistic about the future. It's optimistic about the present. It says, yes, hey, we can do this. Yes, we can make a difference. Hey, we can, we can do uh, something for God. It's optimistic. It hopes. Hope is all about the future. We use the word like it's something like it might happen, it might not happen. But in the Bible, when you see the word hope, it's not about if it might happen. No, it, it has the focus of being optimistic of what will happen later down the road. True love hopes on what God and God's promises, what God will do in and through us. That's what hope does. And true love hopeth all things. I want you to notice it endureth all things. This means it is strong to hold the load and the burden, burdens. There the, that word endureth means to, to hold, to bear a load. True love is one that endureth those things. It bears the load of others. Let me ask you this morning, are you helping anyone with their burdens this morning? Is there something in your marriage that needs some load-bearing? Are you one that is helping in that, or are you one that is running away from that? You say true love is one that says, hey, I see that you're struggling with this. I want to help you carry it. I'm one that wants to carry that uh, load with you. True love manifests itself in that it endureth all things. It is strong to hold those burdens. But I want you to notice what love does not do. You know, Paul contrasts to them what love will not do. You know, sometimes the best way to, de to define something is by defining exactly the opposite of what it's doing. And Paul uses that, uh, 
that method, if you will, as he writes this. He, he sort of just, he says, let me just tell you what love does not do. Here's what love does do, some of what love does accomplish. But let me just tell you what love does not do. Love is not envy. It doesn't envy. This means it does not desire selfishly what others have. That word there in the Greek implies uh, envy and, and jealousy. Jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Envy is, is trying to get what they have in a selfish way. He says, true love manifests itself in the fact that it, it doesn't envy like that. It is not egotistical. This means it doesn't draw attention to itself. It's not boastful. Oh, look what I've got. Look what I've done. Hey, have you, seen, have you seen my class? You see how big it is now? You see how much fun we have in our class? You should, yeah, better than your class. Love is not boastful in that way. True love does not manifest itself in some egotistical way. It says there that it is not puffed up. This means it doesn't have an exaggerated view of oneself and abilities. Love doesn't feel like I'm just so indispensable. No one, you know, if I left this church, man, they would be in so much trouble. That's an exaggerated view of maybe how important you think you are. I want to remind you, this is not the pastor's church, it's God's church. God will provide what needs to be here. Let me just say, uh, if you have a, a view of, if I leave, then that, that class is never going to be the same. Their Sunday school is never going to be the same. You have a wrong view. You have an exaggerated view. And let me tell you, that's not a view of love being manifested in your life. Because love doesn't puff oneself up. It is not eccentric. This means it is not rude, but it's mannerly. And how it deals with others in situations that are solemn and right. It's not eccentric. It's not trying to, uh, to, uh, to stand out in that way. True love manifests itself in that it, it is not extracting. In other words, it's not selfish. It's not looking just to come to, to oneself. It is not enraged. This means it is not contentious. Love is not trying to fight with everybody. Love manifests itself in the fact that it's not enraged and then it is not evil-minded. Thinketh no evil is what it says there. This means it does not hold grudges. True love manifests itself in that it's not always reminding everybody of their shortcomings in your life. It doesn't say, man, I can't wait to get back at these people. Or I'm never going to trust them people again. I mean, did you know what they did with me? Did you know what they did to me? I can't, I can't. And you're holding a grudge. True love manifests itself in the fact that it doesn't hold grudges. And then lastly there, it is not rejoicing in iniquity. This means it does not celebrate other people's failures. There's a footnote there in Genesis chapter 32. If you read verses 31 and 32, it says this, And he passed over Penuel, the sun arose, I mean, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. This is the story of Jacob when he was fighting with God, and, and God touched his thigh. He says, Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. If you remember that story, Jacob limped the rest of his life after that. And Moses specifically writes that, and it seems like a throwaway verse. It seems like, why, why is that? But you know what? There's something in that. As they would sacrifice and do the sacrifices, they would eat uh, many of the sacrifices. They would eat uh, uh, some, a part of the offering, uh, the, the priest would, but they never would eat the sinew of the thigh. 
And the reason uh, was because of this, because of what happened to Jacob. And here's the lesson that is applied by that. This is not a throwaway verse in, in chapter 32, of, in verse 32 of Genesis. It's not just a 30, oh, they, they, uh, so they just never ate that. You know what, it, it really is transmitting what, what it's trying to communicate to us, that we should not celebrate in people's failures. Israel was not to celebrate uh, in much of those feasts when they would burn those sacrifices and eat, like in the Passover feast. They were to celebrate God's uh, uh, um, uh, uh, liberating them from, from Egypt, and it was a cause of celebration that they were uh, sort of doing. But he says they're not going to eat that thigh because that, there was nothing to celebrate there. Let me ask you something. Are you one that celebrates when you see others fail? Are you one that sort of looks upon them and say, I knew that was going to happen? That's what they get. That's what they deserve. True love doesn't manifest itself in that manner. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. May that be the farthest thing from our minds to say, it's what the neighbor gets. It's what they deserve. No. No. True love doesn't have that kind of mentality. We find that there is a motivation for our love and, and what we do. There is a, a manifestation of, of our love as we, as we manifest what God is doing in us. But then Paul tells them of the maturity of love. The maturity of love. First of all, it brings understanding. You, you see in, in verse number 9, he says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And there Paul is talking about the coming of the Word of God. You see, the gifts that he was talking about, that of prophesying, that of tongues, were, uh, and that of knowledge, were, were gifts that God gave, what we call sign gifts, so that people that were unbelieving, especially the Jewish nation, would be able to believe that God had, had changed, and now that God was not only dealing with Israel, but with Gentiles alike, He was, he was going to reach uh, uh, the, the, the world that salvation was for everyone. And so Paul says, see these gifts, these gifts of tongues and these gifts of prophecies, the gift of knowledge and the word there by knowledge isn't just understanding and knowing. It's the gift of, of knowledge was that God was giving Paul what the church needed to, to have. At that point, when Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, they didn't have a Bible like we have today. They didn't have the completed word of God. And so uh, God was revealing to Paul, hey, this is what the church needs to do. This is the way the, the, the structure needs to be. This is how the Christian life should be lived. And so God was giving them uh, divine revelation to do that but he says that which is perfect the word of God when it is come we're not going to need tongues we're not going to need prophecies we're not going to need divine knowledge because that which is perfect has come that word of God that we can understand clearly now that's what Paul was telling them he said all these gifts that you're boasting in and they were boasting in their gifts the, the church at Corinth was one that was, was talking about how they spoke in tongues and you can read how that divided them and how that brought difficulties into their church and all the abilities that they had and all that they were doing. And, and Paul says, man, you're, you're celebrating something that's going to end. Tongues will cease and prophecies will stop. But that love will bring you maturity. When you have love in your Christian life, it's going to bring you understanding of that which is perfect. That which God has established. But it's also something that endures. It is something that endures. He says, now abideth faith. Uh, Hope and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. You say, love is something that will be eternal. 
The Apostle Paul brings to mind the, the love that will endure through all the ages, though everything else passes away, though prophecy passes away, and knowledge and tongues cease. He says love will endure. Love will continue. Love is eternal. And because of that eternal love, it brings us security today that in a thousand years from now, God will still love you and me. That's not going to pass away. That's never going to end. And Paul says, listen, this is what you need to understand, that love is what you need more than the gifts. Love is what should motivate you more than your own abilities, your own personal success. Paul says it's love. Love will bring the maturity into a Christian's life. You won't stay a baby Christian. You won't stay fighting about petty things. Because love will begin to manifest itself and you'll stop holding grudges. And you'll want to help people. We find that that love is, is something that will bring you the maturity in a Christian life. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, on the whole, God's love for us is much safer of a subject to think about than our love for him. And that's what Paul wants us to focus on there. He wanted the church at Corinth to, to remember, listen, of all these, just remember love. That divine love, that agape love, that love that comes from God, it's eternal. I want you to notice, lastly this morning, the man of love. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is love. It is his essence. That's why it is eternal. That's why it's most important in the Christian life. That's why Paul just wrote 13 verses there in that chapter about love, about what love does for us, how it motivates us, how it's manifested in our life. Why? Because it's so important because God is love. Paul wanted them to see the man of love in this passage. You see, the Bible says that Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, Jesus Christ is God. The Bible says over and over how Jesus accepted the worship, how Jesus, being the Son of God, is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word became flesh. That, that, that Word that became flesh is Jesus Christ alone. He is the man of love. And I want you to, to do a little exercise with me. I want you to, to read verse 4 through 8, and I'll read it out loud. And I want you to put in place the name of Christ instead of love. And look what it would say about Christ. Starting in verse 4, it would say, Christ suffered long and was kind. Christ did not envy. Christ did not vaunt himself. He was not puffed up. Christ did not behave himself unseemly, nor seeketh his own. He was not easily provoked. He did not think evil. He did not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoiced in truth. Christ beareth all things, and believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Christ never faileth. He is the man of love. I want you to notice Christ's attitude in his love. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Can I just say this morning, God's attitude for you and for me is one of love. 
He is that man of love. If you feel like, man, I, I, I've really been missing out in life. I, there's just something, there's a, there's a hole in my heart that, that nothing has been able to fill. Not my music, not my job, not my money, nothing. It's probably because you're lacking that man of love in your life. So notice that God loves you this morning. God loves you just the way you are. God made you to be who you are. God gave you the family that you have. God has given you the the abilities that you have. And God loves you this morning. But I want you to notice not only Christ's attitude, but Christ's action. What did that love do? You see, the motivation of Christ coming to this earth, the motivation that God sent his son was out of a motivation of love. But how did he manifest that love? Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth or showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the manifestation of God's love is the cross. It's not just a historical event. No, it's a transformational event. It's a manifestation of love. Someone has said that the ground is level at the cross. What Christ did for you on that cross, he did for you, he did for me, he did for every soul on this earth. For all that will believe on him. For all that will put their faith in him, the action that he did was to manifest that love. You say, why would he manifest his love on that cross? That cross that he did not have to go to, the cross that he did not deserve. Well, it's found in Christ's accomplishment. The motivation of his attitude was love. The manifestation of his love was what he did on the cross. And the accomplishment that he had on that cross was this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made sin... Therefore he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, the man of love manifested his love on that cross for you and me so that we might be made part of the family of God, that we might be forgiven, that we might be made righteous. I wonder this morning, have you been made righteous by the man of love? Have you put your faith in him who loved you, and gave himself for you? Maria Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both of her parents died when she was just a little girl and and she was sent back to England to, to be raised by an uncle that was there. The loss of her parents, however, did not deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At age 16, she, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary herself. Five years later, at the age of 21, she married a man by the name of Hudson Taylor, a man well-known today for his ministry and for his faith and sacrifice. You see, Hudson and Maria's work was often criticized, even by other Christians. At one point, Maria had to write this in her journal as to the harsh judgings of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. In fact, Mary herself died of cholera when she was only 43 years old. But she believed that the cause was worthy of that sacrifice. On her grave marker, in fact, you'll find these words, for her to live was Christ and to die was gain. You know, in a day when there is many self-absorbed Christians, those that are just focused on 
what they can do in their own abilities. We need more that are more loving. We need a a crop of Christians that will sow in their life the seed of love so that God can begin to work and to bring forth much fruit from that love. You see, just as Maria sacrificed her love for the cause of Christ, Christ sacrificed his life that we might be made righteous. This morning, the message is this. What are you sowing in your life? The principle states, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's important to know, what am I sowing? Am I sowing love in my life? Are you one that is sowing love and showing love to others? Let me ask you, how are you going to do it this week? How are you going to show love to others at your work, at your school, young people, at your colleges, college students? Are you going to plant the seed this morning of love? Or are we going to look selfishly at us? We're going to show everybody what we can do and the gifts that we have. Paul challenged the Christians at Corinth. Look at love. It's the most important thing. I remind you this morning, Bethany Baptist Church, look at love. It's the most important thing. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for the reminder in this passage of Paul for love and the importance of love in our life. I pray that as we go throughout this week, that we would remember that we are sowing seeds every day. And those seeds will be harvested one day. I pray that we would sow seeds of love in our life with those at work, with those in our family that we would understand what love can do for us in the way of motivation, but also how it manifests itself in our life and what we do. Father, may we view love and have love in our life that would show more of Christ in us and less of us to others. Oh, may others see not our great abilities, but may others see Christ's love in our life. This morning, as the piano just plays one stanza quickly, perhaps you're here this morning, you're, you're saying, Pastor, you know, this thing of love is, is something that I really need to sow more of in my life. I, I feel perhaps maybe I've done a little bit of it, but I, I need to do way more of it. Would you just pray that this week I would sow love in my life? If that's your decision, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Is that something like that? God bless you. I see those hands. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, that last point, the man of love, is is something, to be honest with you, Pastor, I can't think of a, a time in my life where I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I can't think of a time in my life, a specific time, and a specific prayer where I asked God to forgive me of my sins and for His love to make me righteous. I'd like to make that decision today. I'd like to ask Christ to be my Savior. If that's your, lo- uh, if that's your decision, could you just raise your hand? I, I want to pray for you. I want to sh- have someone show you how you can know that you've been forgiven and you've been made righteous. If that's your decision, is there anyone like that? Father, this morning you've seen 
hands, but you've also seen hearts. Father, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be Christians that would continually sow love in our life. Father, I pray that you would help us this week to be loving to others, to manifest that that fruit of the Spirit in our life, and that we would be a a witness and, and a light for you. Use us, I pray, Father, but mold us more importantly. Make us more like your Son, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. great challenge this morning as we stand to our feet quickly just reminding us as we're about to head out we do have that men's meeting coming up uh this uh uh this coming thursday at 6 30 and then